Hey everyone, welcome to the Coastal Podcast. I'm Pastor Lucas Granger and want to say thank you for listening in. May this podcast bring some light to your world today. Enjoy grace and peace. Good morning. Man, looking out, looking at all these jerseys this morning. Quite a few Steeler fans in the house. I don't know what's up with that, y'all. I mean, all these Steelers fans in the house. I'm actually really disappointed um, because I had not just one, but two different people come up to me this morning and say, the Sandlot, what team is that? (laughs) What? Only the greatest movie of 1993, y'all. You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me. What team is that? Y'all need to step up your jersey game. Some of y'all guys, tell you what, tell you, man, I don't even get started. Let's get right into the word this morning. This is part two, Nehemiah chapter 13. I want to read a portion of the scriptures this morning, Nehemiah 13, beginning with verse six. This is Nehemiah saying this, I was not in Jerusalem At the time, for I had returned to King Xerxes in Babylon in the 32nd year of his reign, though I had later asked permission to return. When I arrived back in Jerusalem, I learned this about Eliab's evil deed in providing Tobiah with a room in the courtyards for the temple of God. I became very upset, and I threw all of Tobiah's stuff out of the room. Dude got evicted, stuff on the streets. And then I mandated that the room be purified. Bring in the Clorox, bring in the Dawn, clean this place out because this dude was stinking the place up. And then after you've cleaned it up, bring all the articles of God's temple, the grain offering and the frankincense. Bring it back into the room. So this is the first problem that he notices upon his return. Second is this. I also discovered that the Levites had not been given their prescribed portion of food, so they and the singers who were to conduct the worship services had all returned to work in their fields. Come on. Alan went back to McDonald's. Jody left. Randy went back on tour with Leonard Skinner. All of these things happened. The Levites had returned to the field. I immediately confronted the leaders and demanded, why is the temple of God being neglected? Then I called all the Levites back, restored them to their proper duties. And once more, all the people of Judah began bringing their tithes and grain to new wine and olive oil to the temple storerooms. I assigned supervisors for the storerooms. uh, And then it goes on and gives the list of names, men of good reputation. Here we have it. Uh, Nehemiah has come back. If you don't know, he's rebuilt this wall, 52 days building the wall around a city. Miracles have happened. It's amazing. People are celebrating. People are rejoicing. Now some time has gone by. As a matter of fact, 12 years has gone by. He's gone back to Babylon, making his way back now into Jerusalem. And upon his return, he comes to find out some things are not in order. The first one is this, that the, the priest has taken uh, what was meant to be the storehouse for the temple of God, moved all of these things out of the room, and moved someone else in. And matter of fact, the guy that he moves in is an enemy 
of the faith. He is one that has written different letters and, and, and tried to get the entire project shut down. Now, this guy is actually living inside against the law. He, he comes back. He sees this return, throws them out onto the street. He also notices the second part. Now, the Levites' uh, worship services are not being conducted anymore, and he's putting things back in order. Now, it's interesting because uh, before this, uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, all of this rebuilding of the temple, rebuilding of the wall— each time, it says the scriptures were read in the presence of the people. And so the laws were given, and these are the way that God wanted worship services conducted. This is the laws in which the people were uh, to abide by. This is the purpose of different things in different rooms. And all of that has been what seemingly be, looks like forgotten. Remembering. Remembering. I've learned this about remembering. Remembering in itself is an art form. Remembering is an art board because, like, you think you remember, but you don't. Remembering and looking back of what all that God has done for you. See, I think remembering is cultivated. It, it, it takes effort to remember things correctly. It, it's cult, like gratitude is cultivated, Right? It's, it's, it's something that you could, you, you could begin to flourish in your life, to have this spirit of gratitude, this spirit, man, I'm just glad to wake up this morning. I'm just, just happy to be here today. Come on. Anybody else's spirit of gratitude, just grateful, just thankful? A few of you? Like, I don't know, does anybody just wake up or just go to their life and just like, you know what, I'm going to be super grumpy today. Today? I just, I, I'm just, just going to be grumpy. It's going to be a bad day. You know what? I'm looking forward to the day when I can sit on my front porch and yell at kids to get off my yard. I mean, it's just going to be like that. It's just going to be horrible. I mean, this is just the kind of person I want to be. I want to be mad at life. Anybody? Like, no, no, no. It's cultivated, though. It's cultivated, just like gratitude, just like remembering. It's cultivated. I remember uh, this was a few years ago before and I'm going to throw you underneath the bus a little bit this morning, but then I'll drag you back out, baby. Um, <laughs> before my wife was the youth pastor here at the church, uh, we, were, we were in our home and, and the street that we live on. Uh, to get into my driveway, I've built these, what are they called, like bulkheads, little wooden bulkheads so you could get past the ditch and, you, you know, you could drive your car in and out. And so the, the little wooden bulkheads maybe sit three feet above the ground, and, and we're in the kitchen, I think we're cooking dinner or something, and there's a group of uh, teenagers, a group of youth, and they're going up and down the street and doing whatever they do, and they stop by our mailbox and our bulkhead, and they're just hanging out, and they're sitting on the bulkhead, and Devin's like looking at them through the glass, like, what, what are they doing? What, 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 what are all these kids doing in our yard? Like, do we need to go tell them to move? And I'm like, baby, how do you think that that ends? It ends with eggs all over our house. <laughs> right now, they're just hanging out by the mailbox. Let the kids hang out by the mailbox, all right? And she, okay, oh, you, you're right, you're right. But, like, there's this thing, there's this thing that, oh, no, like, something's up, something's wrong. And, like, just remembering when you were 13 years old, girl, remember back in that day. You want somebody to kick you off of their yard? Like, let them play. Remembering is an art form. It's like a fishing story. The fish started off this big. Then the fish got this big. Then the fish was so big, like it was, we couldn't even get in the boat, guys. The fish was that big. 
Have you noticed, like, like, fishing stories get bigger and bigger? Success stories get bigger and bigger? Oh, but there's also another type of story. There's our sin story. And if we're not careful, that story has a tendency to get smaller and smaller. If we're not careful, it wasn't that bad. It, it was just that one time. It, well, you know, it wasn't, you know, I, I don't even think that was me. And, and, and so the success story gets bigger and bigger, ah, but the sin story gets smaller and smaller. Remembering is an art form. It's an art form. And, and what's interesting is this thing within us that wants to grow our success, minimize our failures, um, it's actually the complete opposite of the kingdom. Uh, I think maybe one of the greatest examples of this is the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul, who literally authored two-thirds of the New Testament. If you look at the way he addresses himself in his early letters and as those letters progress on, he starts off with, yeah, Apostle Paul, Pharisees of Pharisees, as regarding the law, blameless. But as the letters continue, you know what he says? I'm the least of these, chief of sinners. Do you see the difference? You see the progression of his life. And see, and, and it's not this false humility that the Apostle Paul is taking. It's a recognition of his proper place. And that, rep- that, that recognition, I think, boils down uh, to, to, to this. Success and fail- failure has found its proper place in his life underneath the blood of Jesus Christ. In other words, he says it like this. I've learned how to do all things. Whether I'm on top of the mountain or I'm about, whether, my, whether my belly is full or empty, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so what you've got to understand is any success that I've had in my life is because of Christ. And, 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 and the only reason why I didn't blow up because of my success is because of the grace of Christ. So it's not just my failures that are going underneath the blood, it's also my success. Because the reality is there's times in our life where you don't know which one's which. There's times where things that we call successful that actually I think the Lord says, well, that's actually a failure. There's actually times where we think we failed where actually, no, 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 you've actually succeeded. Come on, look to the cross. To everyone there on that day, it looked like Jesus failed. It was the greatest success of all times. And so we've got to be careful of how we remember because we have a tendency to misinterpret our memories And we begin to believe the lie, and the fish gets bigger and bigger, and the sin gets smaller and smaller. And we tell ourselves, well, well, life was so much better then. I was happy when I had fill in the blank. If I wasn't married to this dude, (laughs) if I didn't have this job, if I wouldn't have done then, oh, man, back over there was so, man, that was my promised land. And we tell ourselves these things, and it's the same old story, guys. We were better off in Egypt. What's up with this manna? I would rather have the leeks of Egypt than the freedom of this desert. And we tell ourselves this lie, and there's a pattern to it. So what happens is the truth becomes a lie, but we tell ourselves that lie for so long that we actually believe it's true. In other words, this, we've told the fish story for so long that we actually believe the fish was that big. 
And if you were to call us out on it, we would call you out on it because no, 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 no. I actually, I believe that this is what happened because I've said it for so long. And so the pattern continues and, and other people start to, to question it. Then you question yourself and then you're left with this state of disillusionment and confusion because you're not sure, is this the truth or is this the lie? What story am I living into? Because in my mind, I've played this over and over again And it plays out different every time. This entire year, I told everybody I was 42 years old. Until the other day, when my wife informed me that I'm 43 years old. <laughs> to which I said, no way, girl. I am not that old. I'm 42. I'm 42, I've been... And then I started doing the math. 1980, July, carry the one... No, that can't be right. I can't be 43. I'm 42 years old. I'm 43 years old. Oh, man, what's happened? And there was this moment where I felt like I've lost a year of my life. Like, that was a year I'm never going to get back. <laughs> it's just gone now. Because I believed it. I believed it with all of my heart. There's this other time... I was eight years old. Uh, we would move back and forth between here and Fayetteville. My dad was in the military, and um, he would get deployed, and we would be here when he was deployed. And we were here, and we were living at Holden Beach at this neighborhood called Wood Duck Retreat. Come on, somebody. That's the country right there, Wood Duck Retreat. And uh, there was these little ponds, and there was this pond in the neighborhood, eight years old. I mean, this is, this is pre-Walmart days, y'all. So there's nothing for an eight-year-old to do. There's still not a lot for an eight-year-old. But... Brunswick County, we're growing, we're growing, and um, so I just fished a lot. I would go fishing, I'd go fishing, which is super boring. I know, I don't mean to hate, but it's, it's boring, but uh, I'm fishing, and finally, this one day, I caught this fish, and, and it was a monster, <laughs> and I remember walking home with this fish, and I didn't even, I couldn't even get it off the pole, so I'm like, I got the pole on my shoulder, the pole is full on U-turn, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm the man. Like, people are coming out of their houses, like, look at the little boy with this fish. I'm like, yeah, yeah, autographs later. <laughs> and in my mind, this is the fish story. But what's interesting is I hear my mom tell the story. And when my mom tells the story, the fish is even bigger. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it fed the whole family, it fed the whole neighborhood. She tells the story, and the next day, all of the men of the neighborhood were out there fishing, trying to catch fish. <laughs> and so now, in my mind, I have no clue how big this fish is. Because I'm like, I'm not, I can't remember. I mean, I remember it was big, but I'm not sure exactly how big it was. And then, and then she says, all of the guys in the neighborhood, like, what does that mean? How many guys were in the neighborhood? Was there like 16 guys fishing, or was it like two? And in my mom's mind, that was all the guys in the neighborhood. Like, I, I don't know, and so I'm kind of left with a state of confusion. I'm not sure what I catch it on. I'm pretty sure I caught it on some Wonder Bread, y'all. That's where you just put some Wonder Bread. Like, what is it? What is the truth? And here's the point. It's not a big deal when you're an eight-year-old and you're talking about a fish. But it is a big deal when you're a 43-year-old and the enemy starts whispering in your ear, did God really say 
It's a really big story whenever you start going through life and things don't start adding up the way you thought they would add up and all of a sudden there's this voice. Did God really say that? Did God really give you those dreams? Did God give, really give you those? I'm telling you, if you don't know the truth of the word of God and what he has spoken over you and in your life, man, it, 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 it's, it's not good to remember correctly because the enemy has this strategy. Did God really say he was going to heal you? Did God, nah, he doesn't do that anymore. He doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't heal anymore. That all stopped. People believe that. Some of you in this room might believe that. Some of you in this room might say that you believe that he heals, but when it actually comes time to believe that you need the healing, it's a different story. Come on, somebody. Can we get honest in the house this morning? Did he really say? And your soul is left wondering just like these Levites in this field. See, God God had put them there for this purpose, for this reason. They're they're leading worship in the house of God. They're doing what they're called and meant to do. And this is is generations of uh, of God calling these people to do this. And, And is this it? Because now all of a sudden they've hit a snag because the priest has done something he's not supposed to do. And now all of a sudden the food that was supposed to be distributed to the Levites is no longer being distributed to the Levites. And they have to go back to the fields because they can't feed their kids. And just like, but God told me to do this, but I'm back here in this field, and I'm just not sure, and you've got to have a really good memory, and you've got to know that you know that your success and your failures are both covered in the blood, whether you're at the temple or whether you're in the field. Did you know right now, somewhere in some storeroom, flown all the way from some factory in China. There is a bunch of jerseys and hats, things that all say, congratulations, you won Super Bowl Sunday. And they've printed them out for both teams. And they're ready to go. They're just waiting to see who wins. I'm here to tell you, there's a jersey already printed out for you. That it's already ready. That he who begun a good work will see it through to the day of Christ Jesus. And that your sins and your failures, and it doesn't matter if you feel like you've succeeded or whether you feel like it is covered in the blood of Jesus Christ, but you've got to enter in. See, he desires that all men might be saved, but it is your choice. It is my choice to enter in, say, God, I want what you have for me. And whether I'm worshiping on this mountaintop or whether I find myself in this lonely field, my life is yours. So how? How do we remember when we find ourselves back into this field? I want to give you just a couple things this morning. Number one, you've got to look to the word of God. The word of God has to be your, let me stress this word, absolute authority, not like a good suggestion. It can't just be like, hey, this is a good book of moral standards. No, no, it has to be your absolute authority on morality, on decisions, on how you decide to live your life, on everything. If not, you're in trouble. 
Um, let me give you some background on this tribe of Levi as we go into this idea of looking to the word to help us remember. Um, Joshua 21. Joshua 21, uh, Israel has gone in, and there's these 12 tribes. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob, 12 sons. 12 sons become these 12 tribes. These 12 tribes now go in and begin to take what is what we call the promised land. Now, as they begin to go through all these battles and take back the land that God has for them, um, it gets to the point where Joshua says, now we're going to divide up all of the lands. And so through these 12 tribes, each tribe would get their portion of the land, except for the Levites. Oh, the Levites didn't get no land. Ah, but they did get something. Let me sh- let's, and let's read it. We're going to read from Joshua chapter 21, beginning with verse 2. And then they came to Shiloh in the land of Canaan and said, The Lord commanded Moses to give us towns to live in and pasture lands for our livestock. So by the commandment of the Lord, the people of Israel gave the Levites the following towns and pasture lands out of their own grants of land. Um, It goes on to say in verse 8, so the Levites obeyed Lord's commandment that Moses assigned these towns and these pasture lands to the Levites by casting the sacred lots. It gets to the end in verse 41. It says this, the total number of towns and pasture lands within Israelite territory given to the Levites came to 48 48 different towns with pasture lands. Uh, every one of these towns had the pasture lands surrounding it, and they took possession of the land. Why is this important? Because what you have is these tribes, this, this uh, delineation or uh, separation of the land. Each one, Levi, is not given one, but they are giving certain towns. What does that mean? So imagine this. Here in the States, you know, we have you know, Michigan and Florida and North Carolina. And so imagine these things being drawn up into 12 different groups but there's these, tw- so that one of the tribes, tribe of Reuben, would say, okay, listen, tribe of Reuben, you're getting Michigan. But the Levites get Detroit. And to which the Levites are like, we don't want Detroit. <laughs> no one wants Detroit. And to which God's word says, too bad, that's what you're getting. And so they get certain towns and pasture lands in these things that are spread out all through what we call Israel. Now, this is important because worship is taking place on these things, but the Israelites have to go back to Jerusalem, which is the epicenter of worship. It's where the temple is built, and at certain prescribed times among different Levites, different Levites would lead uh, the worship for those times, and so you would go and you'd be part of your community inside of that, that area and help your people, and then at your prescribed time, you would come back into the temple and you would lead worship into the temple, and then there was those that worked right there at the temple full time. Funding dries up. Funding dries up because of the sin of the priest, and the band breaks up, and the musicians go back to their towns. The storehouse is cleaned out. Tobias is moved in. In in short, one uh, scholar puts it like this. The work of God is neglected because the workmen are neglected. The priest of God held something more valuable than God's commandment. The priest held something more valuable than God's commandment. And so what he did is he took the word of God, placed it to the side, and put his friend above it against the law, against the word. And and this one simple act, which doesn't, even on its surface, doesn't seem that bad, 
the repercussions of this sin is now all of that food, all of that grain, all of that frankincense, all of those things, all of those offerings that were meant for the Levites now get pushed to the side, get distributed them out, wasted. This is the offerings of the people, wasted. And now all of a sudden the Levites have to leave. Worship ceases, the very thing that it was created for. The word of God has been forgotten, ignored, and plain out rebelled against, and it started with Christian leadership. It started at the top. And this is no, <laughs> we've heard this story so many times if you've been around church world. We've seen this at churches. We've seen this within denominations. We've seen this amongst ministries. We've seen this amongst pastors and priests. And we've seen the loss of purpose leading to the loss of worship, which leads to, well, the Levites return to the field and, and, and Sabbath is forgotten. Commerce takes place. And then people start falling in love with things they were never called to fall in love with. And it happens over and over again, and it starts at the top. And it's the same story. It's three things. It's the abuse of power, the abuse of money, and the abuse of sex. Every single time. That's exactly what's happened here with the high priest. He's abused his power, he's abused money, and he's abused sex. And we can see it in Nehemiah chapter 13. And the thing is this. If, you, if we do not have a biblical view of each one of these things... Our memory reduces down to our present desires. If you do not have a biblical view of money, power, and sex, which makes up like 97%, less of the flesh, less of the eyes, pride of life. If you don't have a biblical view of things, your life will reduce down to whatever you desire of that day. Whatever's hot, whatever's not. Whatever it is that your soul thinks that you have to have to be happy. All of these things happening. So, so, so uh, the movie The Avengers, I think the Iron Man character, uh, he sums it up best when he says this. I found this to be true. The higher good and my self-interest always seem to align. Is that the case in my life? Is that the case in your life? Is that the story that we try to tell ourselves? That, well, we're doing this for the higher good. And no, 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 it's just your own self-interest. Real quick, I got some time this morning. Um, let me give you three things about this power, money, sex. Not from my opinion, but from a biblical view. Power. The biblical view of power is this. It's used to serve. Every bit of power is used to serve. Jesus says it like this, the greatest among you, let him be your servant. Jesus shows us this by kneeling down and washing the feet of his disciples. He shows us by saying, listen, all power and all authority have been given to me, therefore you go. Do you see it? It serves, it gives away. The power isn't given to you for your benefit. Anybody, any Christian leadership, any, any leadership at all who wields their power for their own self-interest has lost the way. The second I start to make a decision for this church based on my interest, I've sold out. The second you start making decisions as a husband, as a wife, as a parent, come on, as a follower of Jesus to better serve your own self-interest, you're abusing the power that Jesus is giving you. It's always meant to serve. 
to be given away, to be transferred. Money. Money is always looked at through the lens of stewardship. Stewardship. Money is a tangible expression of an inward heart. It's a tangible expression of an inward heart. Where's your treasure? That's your, where your heart will be also. This is best seen in the widow's might. The widow's might, this woman comes in and she drops the little that she has in this bucket. And Jesus begins to celebrate it. Not because it's this huge offering, oh, because it's an even bigger offering than anyone even recognizes. Because they just see it as pennies. But Jesus says, no, 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 this was her everything. And so we're not talking about money here. This is a representation of this woman's heart. And her heart is, Jesus, you're my everything. And not only are you my everything, you're my last. This is it. I'm giving it all to you. My hope isn't in some man. My hope isn't in something. My hope isn't even trying to make two and three and four add up so I can pay my bills. No, no. My hope is in you. And they walk out of the place into which the very first thing, because the disciples are confused, and they begin to talk about all of the, the surrounding places in the temple and the, the, the jewels that are adorning the temple. And the question on the table is this, well, how do we get all of this with that? But how are we supposed to build temples, and how are we supposed to do that? And Jesus is like, you don't understand. That's the only way you do it, with hearts that are completely his. The eyes of the Lord are searching to and fro, looking for hearts that are completely his. Stewardship. And it's a sad day when the thing that you were called to steward is now stewarding you. Come on, somebody. When the thing that you were called to steward is now stewarding you. Let me tell you this about money. Money great, makes a great servant. It makes a horrible master. Money will serve me all day long, but the second I start serving it, Whoo, man, if life doesn't get depressing. Man, money will beat me to death and leave me wanting more. Never satisfied. Sex, biblically. Sex is holy. It's sacred. It's shared in the confines of marriage. One author of the scriptures equates it to a fire. Ah, oh, it's like a fire. It's burning. I've learned this about sex. Sex in its proper place is like that fire. A fire in my fireplace is a beautiful thing. A fire on my living room couch burns the house down. That's how sex works. In its proper place, it's holy. It's sacred, it's beautiful, it's honoring, it's joyful, but you take it out of its proper place and it will burn your life down in a minute. It's the cause of many great men and women of days past that didn't have it in its proper place. And if we don't have a biblical view, this is what happens. See, the priest in that day, he abused his power. He took his power, he moved out the things of God and moved in someone else. He abused the money. All the money that was supposed to be go to the Levites now went to other things. He abused sex. The scriptures tell us that him and his sons began to marry people outside of the people that they were called at that time who they could marry. So much so that Nehemiah says, listen, now the 
The kids don't even know our language anymore. Falling in love with things they weren't called to fall in love with. And it trickles down from the head to the people. And we have this picture of Nehemiah returning. And the people, what's the Sabbath anymore? People are camped out. They're ready to do, it's all about commerce. All these things are happening. People ain't speaking the language. Worship isn't happening anymore. Later on, Jesus will flip over some tables. And what are y'all doing? What are y'all doing? And it starts at the top. We got to remember, and in order to remember, I'm telling you guys, the word of God has to be forefront and center of your life. Second thing, not only do we have to remember, not only does the word of God have to be forefront and center, this, second thing, you've got to set up some monuments. You've got to set up some sacred monuments in your life. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. In Joshua again, there's this moment, again, all of the Israelites have put the land in in the hands of each one of the tribes. Two of the tribes, as they begin to take the land, uh, the tribe of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, uh, they find that they actually like some of the land on the uh, other side of the Jordan better than the the land. They ask Joshua, hey, can can we actually have this land uh, as our inheritance? Uh, Joshua says, listen, yes, you can, but you can't Hold on to it right now. You've got to help your other brothers and sisters. We've got to go to war. And once we've taken all this land, then you could come back and you could have this portion of this land as your inheritance. They're like, cool, sounds like a good deal. They begin to go to war. All of the fighting has stopped, and they begin to go back to their towns. Now, it says this in Joshua chapter 22, beginning with verse 10. Now, while they were still at Canaan, and where they came to a place called Gileoth, near the Jordan River, the men of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they stopped to build a large, imposing altar. The rest of Israel heard that the people of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh had built this altar at Gileoth, at the edge of the land of Canaan, on the west side of the Jordan. So they built this place on a part where this actually isn't your land. This is another tribe's land, and you've built this altar at this place that you really weren't supposed to. So the whole community of Israel gathered at Shiloh to prepare to go to war against them. These are their brothers and sisters that they fought with all of these years. Now all of a sudden they've done this one thing, and the whole family is getting ready to kill them. Come on. Family reunion, anybody? <laughs> Things started off good. Somebody did one thing, and now all of a sudden, all hell is broken loose. That's exactly what's happened here. They're getting ready. Somebody, by the grace of God, is like, hey, before we go to war with our brothers, let's actually talk to them? Good idea? Anybody? Okay, so they send delegates out. They begin to talk. Hey, what are you doing? Uh, Why have you rebelled against God by building this altar for yourself? Because law is they're supposed to uh, bring all of their sacrifice there to Jerusalem. And so they think they've created this this great sin by sinning against God, by sinning against their brothers. Uh, What's the deal? We're getting ready to kill you. Uh, Verse 24, it says this. They respond back. Listen to how they respond. The truth is we have built this altar because we fear that, the, that the future, in the future your descendants will say to ours, what right do you have to worship the Lord God of Israel? So we fear that your future descendants will say this. 
The Lord has placed the Jordan River as a barrier between our people and you people of Reuben and Gad. You have no claim to the Lord, so your descendants may prevent our descendants from worshiping the Lord. So we decided to build an altar, not for burning offerings or sacrifices, but as a memorial to remind our descendants and your descendants that we too have the right to worship. Mm. One, more, one more line, it says uh, later on, this is a reminder of the relationship both of us have with the Lord. Ooh, we've built this monument as a reminder of two things. One, that we get to worship too, and Two, it's a reminder of the relationship that we have with the Lord. When you're tempted to fight against us in the future, no, 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 we're on the same team. And so we built this monument as a remember for us and for future generations. Now, this is important because here we have a tribe that's, that's looking far enough forward, or actually, let me say it like this. They've looked far enough back to realize that they are a people that don't remember. And so looking back, now they're looking forward and saying, listen, we need to set up something for future generations because we know they're going to forget. And when they do forget, when our descendants and your descendants forget, this memorial will serve as a reminder that we're on the same team, that we're still in relationship. And this is a beautiful thing. And this is a key to learning how to remember correctly. Knowing that it ain't just about you. Being able to look back, to look forward, to set up monuments that future generations will look and see, oh yeah, that's what the church was all about. That's what mom and dad's marriage was all about. That's how it was supposed to be. Ah, we've forgotten. There's this one little portion of scripture that, man, I've preached about it a bunch of times, and I was tempted to preach about it this morning, Um, but it says this, I I believe it's Exodus chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 1, it says, and there arose a king in Egypt that knew not Joseph. Everybody knew Joseph. Joseph was the man. Joseph saved an entire country, but you know what? Time went by, and there arose a king who didn't know anything about that. Because that's the reality of the life we live in. And the key to remembering these things, guys, one, biblical worldview. Two, you've got to set up some monuments. You've got to set up a few monuments to remind you that we're in relationship. When things get really tough, and girl, if you don't, to remind you that you're in relationship. To remind yourself that you forget. It's the very nature. You know what the biggest lie you'll ever tell yourself is? I'll remember. That's why I've never won a fight with my wife. Because I don't remember anything. She'll, she'll get it. She'll be like, well, when did you say that? I don't know. I don't remember when I said that. This 17 years, never won a fight. I'm like, I'm trying, I'm trying. And then I realized, oh, like, this happened back in 2017. I'm like, listen, if I'm going to ever win a fight with my wife, and I'm not saying this is good theology right here. 
I'm just saying this is what I did. If I'm ever going to win a fight with my wife, I've got to set up some kind of system in which I can remember. Because she's going to say, do you remember? And I'm going to say, I don't remember. And then I'm just going to have to assume that she's right. But she could be telling me anything she wants. And so there was this one time. Yeah, that's right. Back in 2016, where something happened, and I actually recorded it. And I'd like to pray it for you this morning. Are you ready? You're right. You're right. You're right. I made it my ringtone. As a memorial, baby, come on. To remind me that there was that one time that I was right. Now, you shouldn't do that with your marriage. (laughs) But you've got to set up some certain things in your life to remind you. The other day, we were working on some things for the building, and we were, uh, I was talking to a gentleman about the sign out front. And I didn't know this, but apparently the sign in front of the building, it could be called a monument. And he kept calling it. He's like, what do you want on your monument? Like, you mean the sign? I'm like, oh, yeah. Future generations are going to look at this. What do I want it to say? God, what do you want it to say? If we were to build a monument in your front yard, what would you put on it? What message are we saying to the world? What will help you remember just how big the fish really was? Just how big your sin really is? Because if we're not careful, guys, we forget. And there arose a king who knew not of Joseph. And there's a time when the church, where no longer worship takes place. There comes a day where all of the things where your home, there arose a home that knew not of love, a nation that knew not of freedom, a church that knew not of Christ. And if we're not rooted and grounded in the word of God, we'll go whatever our present desires tell us to do. Stand with me to your feet, please. Jesus says Last week, Pastor Jerry uh, uh, led us in communion, and as often as you do this, ah, remember me. Remember me. There's this monument. (laughs) There's this bread. There's this wine. There's this memorial. There's this moment. There's this call to remember. Remember in the midst of your success. Remember in the midst of your failure. Nate, remember when everything is going wrong when you're trying to build your house. Remember when you're fighting with your spouse. Remember when the doctor tells you there's nothing else we can do. We gotta remember, it's an art. Let's pray. Lord, even just in this moment, as the priest of this house, Lord, we repent. Lord, if there's anything within us 
that has moved things out of their proper place, reveal to them your church welcomes your correction. Lord, you, you discipline your children whom you love ah, to bring them back into the goodness of your love. It's never left. It's always right there. It's just we walked away. The shirts are already printed. <laughs> we come back. We enter into our inheritance of joy. We enter into our inheritance of peace in our home. We enter into our inheritance of the kingdom of God, which is alive and active right now in our lives. No longer my will be done, but God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so God, we repent. May today we find some monuments, some memorials to remind us just how good you are. You're so good, God. You're so good to us. You're so good. We're grateful. We're grateful, God. Cultivate that gratitude in our lives. Grateful for your church. Grateful for our spouse. Grateful for our jobs. Grateful for breath in our lungs. Grateful for freedom. in their house this morning and you don't know him. May today be the day of your salvation. May today be the day that you say, no longer my will, but his. If that's you, you're, gonna have, you're here and you just want to give your life to Christ, you know you need to get right with Jesus. With every head bowed, with every eye closed, I'm just asking you to put your hand real high in the air. I want to lead you into a prayer of just surrender. Is there anybody, anybody in the house that doesn't know him? there is someone here that is still just feeling that tug at their heart but it's not ready yet I pray that you would just continue to surround them with men and women who would be your hands and feet Lord help us to just love people into your presence give us eyes to see give us ears to hear church for the next few minutes uh, let's just worship together Well, we hope this podcast has blessed you. In case you didn't know, we are in the middle of renovating a brand new facility right here in Brunswick County, North Carolina. So listen, two things. Please take a moment and pray for us. Also, if you'd like to give to the ministry, sign on to the website at mycoastalchurch.com slash giving. Hey, have a wonderful, wonderful day. Grace and peace.